We're beginning a new series tonight, and it's a series going through the book of Habakkuk. And I say a series going through the book of Habakkuk, and oftentimes people will look at me like, Habakkuk? What's Habakkuk? What's a Habakkuk? We often avoid the minor prophets, and it's sad because there's so much in the minor prophets. They're part of God's word like the rest of his word, and yet so often we don't make it to there. And yet here what we find in this prophet struggling with what's going on in his world are the same questions that you and I struggle with today. We look at our world today and think, why is it that things are, are so difficult? Why is it that it seems like unrighteousness prevails both inside the church and outside the church? Why is it that God is silent in the midst of all of that? Where in the world am I going to find any hope in the midst of a world that feels like this one? And we think, well, uh, I have these enlightened modern-day questions. Well, they're not modern-day questions. They're human questions. And what's remarkable about the prophet Habakkuk is that here he is, a, a prophet of God called to, to proclaim the truth of God to his people. And he has those same questions. And the beauty of this book is it allows us to actually see the interaction of a prophet with his God. So we see both the questions that we want to ask God and God providing answers to them. And even in those answers, sometimes it's going to be challenging. It'd be nice if we could say, okay, now that I have this answer, I'm going to do something and everything's going to go nice and smoothly and exactly how I'd like it to. What we're instead called to do and what we'll see over these next weeks as we go through this is to see this demonstration of who God is, his righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness, even when he feels silent, as an assurance, as an assurance that, yes, things can seem upside down in the moment, but God is there, God is victorious, and that we're called into his victory with him. So let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer as we start tonight, and then we'll dig right in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for these minor prophets. We may call them minor prophets, and yet the, the truth that we find in here is anything but minor. And Lord, as we deal with these questions, the questions that, that we ask day in and day out of you, may through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you apply the truth of this book to our hearts, that we might be reassured, that we might be comforted, that we might be corrected, that we might be empowered to do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We often wonder about things that are outside of our control but don't seem to be coming together like they seem like they should. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always curious when I see local businesses and they don't seem to be acting the way I think they should. And, and one example that, that I've been thinking about in preparing for this message is the little car wash down the street from me. And, and I like that little car wash. It wasn't a great car wash, but, you know, if you just, your car needed to be cleaned, it was relatively cheap and it was convenient. You didn't have to go out of your way. And a few years ago, it went up for sale. And it had been getting really kind of dilapidated. Some of the hoses were broken. You had to make sure to go in the stall that had all the features you actually wanted to use because they didn't work everywhere went up for sale, and someone bought it, and I was excited. Ah, here it is. Now the, the righteousness of this car wash is going to be restored. It will actually be good. Maybe it'll be better than it was before because it was never that great. 
finally. And it sat there, and then some trucks pulled up and they started working on it. Did a little more work, but it didn't really seem to be going anywhere. And then they put up a, a chain across the driveway. You couldn't even go into it. And it was sort of, okay, now they're going to do the big work. It's going to come all together now. And then it sat there some more and some more. And it, it looks sort of like this. Uh, you have that sign there, car wash closed. And it has addresses of other places to go get your car washed. This is not exactly how I thought it was going. And you think, where in the world is this going? Is it just going to sit there abandoned? Well, this week I got somewhat of an answer. Apparently the person gave up on it. They put it up for sale again. Now, I don't know where that's going, but I at least see now what I suspected, which was the person who bought it. His heart wasn't into it. And maybe, maybe the car wash will be restored. But it's, an, it's a wait again. So wait sort of like those lights, and please wait a second while I turn them back on. <laughs> Sometimes things don't come together how we want them to, right? A and we think... If only I had the power to do it. Well, that stinks when you actually do have the power then, because then you say, well, <laughs> still didn't work out so well. But we want to understand in the big understand picture, in the big picture why, doesn't it work out so why doesn't it work out so well in the world? Why does unrighteousness prevail? And then we finally get a little taste. Something righteous happens, and we think, ah, it's all coming together now. And what happens? It seems like unrighteousness prevails again. It seems like it doubles up. We want to understand why. And here's the thing that's even worse. And here's our first question that we, we start to, to see Habakkuk bring before our, our God, and we're going to see that in those first few verses of the book. Why does wickedness prevail not only in the world, but in God's people? Why doesn't the church look righteous? That's what Habakkuk basically is asking. He's asking of Israel, the Old Testament people of God, but he's asking the question, God, you've gathered these people. Why are you allowing them to act in an unjust way? Let's go ahead and turn and hear Habakkuk's question. Verse 1 of Habakkuk 1, if you have your Bible, says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. see several problems listed here. Several different problems. The first one, and the one that I think often eats at us, is we pray to God, we pray to God about things that are clearly wrong, things that, that we know, are, according to God's word, disturb our God, and, and yet it seems like he doesn't even hear. Where is he? Why does he allow it to happen? Habakkuk's looking at his own people, the people of Judah, the, the northern kingdom, the, the, 
The ten northern tribes of Israel have already been wiped out by God's judgment, but here it is. The, the final remnant of God's people is there. And God's just allowing it, it would seem, to have a cuck, to go any which way. The people are, are taking advantage of other people. The, the, the powerful in the country are exploiting the weak. The, the faithful are being subjected to those who are unfaithful. The, 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 the teaching of God's word is being replaced by whatever fancies them in their culture. Habakkuk says, why are you idly looking at this, God? Is this just, you're just looking down and, and you don't care what's happening to your people? Here should be our first encouragement, incidentally. Here is a prophet of God and he can come to God with a question like that. And if you ever wondered, is God going to be angry with me if I ask, why are you doing this, God? The answer is God is willing to let us come and ask him those hard questions. So Habakkuk does. And he lists all kinds of problems. Violence is going on. Iniquity. The, the people are acting in such a wrong manner that he says in, in verse 4, the law is paralyzed. So we look back, God gave his law to, to speak. It speaks on all kinds of moral terms. It also speaks about how the nation of Israel should operate. Habakkuk looks at it and says, it's just been paralyzed. It can't do anything anymore because it's so corrupt here. No one pays attention to it. God, you're, you say you're a God of justice. You've, you've given law that, that people might be served in a just manner, and yet so-called justice occurs and it's perverted. And here's the really hard part. It's not perverted by the people outside of Israel. Habakkuk can't point to the Egyptians and the oppression that the Israelites experienced in the past and say, look at those evil Egyptians, God, why aren't you punishing them enough? And he is going to ask questions about that later on. He has to ask a much harder question. He has to say, God, why are you letting us, your people, get away with this stuff? Why aren't you reforming us? Why aren't you enabling us to actually do what we're supposed to do? We, it's just a mess. Habakkuk is pointing to the very people who represent God in the, in the nation. The king, who is not only the political leader of the nation, but also God's representative, and the priesthood and, and the Levites who are, are, are called to teach God's word, and they're not teaching it faithfully. And so it's just one big, giant mess. As are our lights. Hang on one moment. I will be back. Just checking to see if you're all paying attention. I don't. <gasps> I apologize. I, it, I don't even have the slightest idea why it's doing this. 
But maybe God wants another illustration here. Because I don't understand this any more than Habakkuk understands what's going on in the nation of Israel. And he has lots of bright ideas. I apparently have some dim ideas. Um, But here's the thing. Here's the thing that we see here. We might think that the Bible would, would cast the people of Israel as the heroes. You have that saying, history is written by the victor. It doesn't sound very victorious. You look at God's word. It doesn't tell a story of a people who, who hear from their God and worship their God perfectly and their God just and allows them to prosper forever and there's nothing that ever goes wrong and they always do what's right and aren't they the best people in the world? No. We read about people that keep sinning and sinning and sinning. The Bible is realistic about what it looks like to be part of the people of God. And in that, it challenges us, I believe, to to ask the question, where do I fit into this picture? Because it's really easy when when we see the prophets criticizing the other nations, we say, well, I'm following the Lord, so I'm over here, they're over there, they're wicked. What happens when the Bible comes and points the finger back at, at the very people that we belong to? when we're part of God's people, and the Bible says, and God's people are perverting justice. God's people are doing iniquity. God's people are doing violence. Where do I fall into that? Where am I contributing to the harm? I'm not helping. I don't like asking that question. Does anyone here like to ask that question? I think the answer is no. We don't want to ask Hey, God, show me where my own faults are. I really like finding other people's faults. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Where are my faults? Habakkuk is, is wrestling here, not with how evil the other nations are, and he will, he will, and, and it's good to do that. But he starts off with asking God, why are you allowing these things to happen with us? Why are we doing these unrighteous acts? I think we can say this. God's church today would be much healthier if we always asked that question. You don't have to look very far to see the result of us not asking that question today. It's in the headlines. I'm not going to mention it by name. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. But you, you, I think all of you probably know who I'm referring to. There's a giant denomination that just had a huge bunch of headlines come out about all the abuse it covered up a few weeks ago. They've actually started putting a public database up because they, they've reached the point, thankfully, praise God for this, where they're repenting of it. What happens time and again? The denomination I was in until a couple of years ago had its annual national meeting this week. Some, of, some similar accusations have been rising up through it. And it came out this week they actually were taking those who had perpetrated, their lawyers were being recommended to represent the church in the process. The guilty parties, the accused parties, lawyers to represent the church. 
that those sitting that were going to judge the case and try to get to the bottom of it were actually working with those lawyers. And they ruled that this was appropriate. See, that's what happens when we don't ask the question, where am I contributing in this? As long as it's always the other, it's really easy to say, and so I can do what I think, whatever seems best to me, whatever's going to make it smoothest for me, because I'm not part of the problem. But this book challenges us to actually look in our own hearts and say, where is it that I'm missing what God has called me to be and to do? Now, we should do that because we love God. We should do that because we want to do what's pleasing to God. But the answer to Habakkuk's question is given by God in the next few verses. You see, in these first verses, Habakkuk's saying, why is this going to happen? Why, or why is this happening right now? And God's going to come up with an answer. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Their horses are not only swifter than leopards, but more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. All the kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. <laughs> Be right back again. preaching blue, and then go back to this window? Thanks. It's not supposed to be doing this. Yeah, thanks. The darkness that we have in our lighting isn't anything like the darkness of having the Babylonians descend upon you. And they will descend. And that, th here's, you know, we know about the Babylonians. If you... If you remember, if you haven't, maybe you've taken a biblical history class or, or Sunday school class or heard sermons on them. It, certainly if you read through the Bible, you run into them. If you go through a world history class, if you remember back to high school or, or before and you remember a class you've heard about the Babylonians, the Israelites had not heard of the Babylonians in any meaningful capacity. They knew there was this distant land, this distant land that... Um, that at first they thought, well, maybe they'd be an ally, an ally against others who had opposed them and oppressed them. But they didn't know what the Babylonians were truly capable of doing. 
God says, I'm going to cause something to happen that's so sweeping, you can't even, can't even believe it. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's shocking. Now, I don't know how you typically come before God if you're praying, trying to figure out why something is the way it is, but if you're like me, I usually pray in a way that's going to lead to things being easier for me. I don't ask I don't God, hey, can you ask make, God, things, hey, a can you make things a lot more difficult, lot more painful? A lot more can you painful? be taken away from my home and taken to a faraway land? I, I don't pray things like that. Most of us, I don't think, do. And Habakkuk here isn't really praying that either. He's, he's praying, God, why aren't you solving the problems in our situation, in our nation, in our church? God says, well, here's how I'm going to do it. Here's how I'm going to solve it. I'm going to solve it by bringing forth the judgment that is called for. Now, thankfully, most of the time, we get to live our lives with that judgment in the distant future. And so even if we turn away from the Lord and we do all kinds of horrible things, we don't experience immediate judgment. But what we see throughout Scripture is that at times God brings that judgment forward into the moment so that his people can actually see how righteous and powerful he is. But this is shocking. This is a shocking prophecy. Imagine if a prophet that you knew was actually a genuine prophet from God who, who was coming with a, a genuine word of the Lord came and you heard him speaking. And he said, you're living here in St. Charles with all your iniquity? Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to send an invading force like you've never seen before. And it's going to come sweeping through here. It's going to pull you out of your homes and take you away to a faraway land. And they're going to gather all the people of, of St. Charles like grains of sand. Can you imagine how we'd feel if we actually knew that were true? What we would do, I think, in the moment, if we heard someone say that, is say, that person's crazy. That can't be. And even if, even if we've been praying and we've been saying, God, will you fix things? Will you bring about your justice? What we'd say is, well, clearly this person, this can't be from God because I've been praying that God's going to make things better. I've been praying that, especially about my neighbors and that he would fix them and help them to love righteousness. I haven't been praying that he'd take me to a faraway land. What do we know about when Habakkuk's writing? We, we don't know the exact date that he writes, but we know it's somewhere approximately between 625 and 605 B.C., so a little over 600 years before Jesus. And, and in that, it's just before the time when the Babylonians will come and will take away the people of Judah. At this moment, it may be that they really don't realize that the Babylonians are a threat yet, and that's why scholars think it's probably before 605, which is a, a massive victorious battle for the Babylonians that show their might. Because then they could imagine it. Then they would have been fearing it. But they weren't yet. They are just doing their own thing, taking care of their own needs. God says, your expectations are, you're my people, so you can come before me, and you can ask me for help when you want, and then you can go and do whatever you want, whenever you want, and then you come back to me. He says, 
I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to refine my people. I'm going to shake off those unrighteous who don't really belong to my people. I'm going to purge and I'm going to clean. Many of the people didn't believe it would actually happen. God wouldn't do that to us. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4. Jeremiah is conveying a very similar message, and, and the people are saying, it's not going to happen. Because we have the temple of God. God's here. It's not going to happen. And, and Jeremiah says, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go out after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the, the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Here's what the people are doing. They're saying, we can do whatever we want. We can make ourselves happy. We can chase after other gods if we think that's going to somehow enrich us or make us successful. All we need is to know that we are those people who get to go in that temple that's named after the Lord. And as long as we get to do that, God's not going to touch this city. God's not going to touch us. He's not going to harm his own house. You see, the people didn't really truly fear God. And too much of God's church today, likewise, doesn't fear God. Too often in my own heart, I don't fear God. I'm focused on what I want. I'm focused on what will make me happy. I'm focused on what's going to make my life easy. God says, if that's what you're going to do, and that's what they're doing, they're, they're chasing after other gods. I mean, most of us probably aren't going to go and worship other gods, and so we say, oh, I'm in the clear. We chase after our own gods, our gods of success, our gods of money, our, our gods of comfort, our gods of status, our gods of political power. We come up with lots of gods. We just don't call them gods. And we look at them and we say, this is what I really want. But as long as I walk into the doors of a church, as long as I claim the name of Jesus, everything is going to be fine. Then we look out and we say, why doesn't the world like the church? Why doesn't the world, why doesn't the world want to be a part of it? We need to go back to those questions that Habakkuk's asking to begin with because the world looks at the church and the world sees at best itself all too often. It sees people who claim the name of the Lord but don't act in fear towards him, don't act in reverence towards him, don't say what he actually says is what I'm going to do. That does, a, a, a church that doesn't hold itself accountable to each other where brothers and sisters in Christ are, are more worried about being righteous before the Lord than what looks good. They don't fear God. We don't fear God. 
If we don't fear God, then we have to fear a lesser enemy. Verse 7, once again. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who's, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Thank you so much, Tim. These dwellings not their own. They're going to come through. And as we look at the description of these people, think about how they're described here. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. They are dreaded and fearsome. What is the appropriate target of those descriptors? God. God is the one who's fearsome. God is the one, if we oppose him, we should be dreaded. And yet the people are looking at the Babylonians, and, and yeah, they appear like what they should, the people should be seeing God this way, but the Babylonians are the ones they see this way because God's up in heaven. They see the, this marching army. Yeah, that's something I'm scared of. Isn't that funny? We proclaim that we believe this word and we believe who God is and we believe that he's creator of all things. And yet so often we fear other human beings far more than we fear God. Let's all ask this question of ourselves. Do, does God's judgment awaken my heart? When I read these words, do they, does it come to my heart and do I allow the spirit to, to come into my heart and say, these are the areas where you're not doing righteousness, where you're not loving the people around you, where you're not seeking to do what God has called. Or am I more worried about what other people think? Matthew 20, 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do I fear God? Do I fear other human beings? Fear other human beings. It's funny, I, I read it's a book like I, this, I read... uh, the, this prophecy, and, and it's very convicting, and it sort of reminds me of, of a sticky note. How many of you use sticky notes sometimes? And, and do you think, I need to remember things, I gotta put on a sticky note. And then you stick it on the, your computer monitor, you stick it in your car, you stick it by your chair, does anyone run into the same problem I, I do? I, I make lots of notes. I don't read them. So I have all these wonderful reminders that don't do any good because I, I see them. Oh, there's some notes. I'll just scoot them over out of the way so I have room for my coffee. Oh, it's blocking what I can see on my computer monitor. I'll peel it off and I'll put it down here where it's not in the way. And too often that's what we do with God's word. That's what was happening here with these people. They, they had the prophets. They had the law. They knew them. They knew enough to know where the temple was and they should be a part of it. What, they, what did they do? When, when their neighbors seemed to be getting more crops in their fields and they looked over and they saw they were worshiping another god, they said, hmm, let me just move that sticky note about only worshiping the Lord and I'll just move it over here. It's in the way at the moment. Yeah, God says that unlike other ancient peoples, I can't just take advantage of people that are weaker than me. No, a lot of the ancient world didn't have any value for, for those who weren't of great wealth and power. God says we need to take care of them. I'll just peel that sticky note off because it's really inconvenient at the moment. 
we start peeling these sticky notes off. We do the same thing today. We chase after the gods of our neighbors, the ways that they get successful, the ways that, that they can apparently cling to what we label the American dream, that somehow it's all going to work. We want to impress them. I want to impress them. They show up at the church. I'd like them to be impressed. I'd like them to think, oh, isn't this a nice church? Is our first and foremost question, do we want God to look into our our hearts and say, here's someone who loves me? That God looks into our church and says, here's a church that loves me. And this doesn't in any way negate God's grace and his mercy. The point isn't if you mess up, you can't come back and repent. The point is, are we allowing the Spirit to actually bring us to a point of repentance? Are we running from repentance? The law is paralyzed, Habakkuk says in verse 4, because the people are just ignoring it. Are we ignoring some portion of God's word for us? I'd like to say I never do. It would be a nice thing as a preacher to be able to say, I, well, I always listen to God's word. I always do it. I'm not going to say that, though, because I don't. What are we going to do? Well, in a few weeks, we're going to get to the heart of Habakkuk, and he's going to, to speak more to this. But I can't help but, but just kind of leave us there thinking about this today. What does he say? It gets quoted several times in the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. Chapter 2, verse 4. The gospel's right in the heart of Habakkuk. Because you see, repentance isn't to convict us and make us race after some new legalism where we can achieve a better appearance of righteousness. The righteousness of God's word is to convict us and to call us to come to him, to come before the cross, to say, God, I'm a mess. My church is a mess. Your church in general is a mess. As we sang earlier, Lord, I need you. I recognize that in myself today. It's not about what I can do. It's about watching what God will do in each and every one of us. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, then then today would be a wonderful day to allow this to convict you and to say, wait a second here. Yes, I, I do chase after idols in this world, even if we don't call them that. Yes, I do look after myself rather than other people. And I need mercy because before the one who could count all iniquity, who could stand? It doesn't take anything magical. It doesn't take earning enough to tip the scales of justice before God. It takes coming before him and saying, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. This word is not just for those who haven't yet believed in Jesus. Christian, this is for you as well, that we would come before our God again and again, that we would be humble enough to recognize that God's not through with us and we're still messed up. That we come humbly enough that when God is going to refine us, we don't try to put the defenses and the excuses and say, this is why I can do this. The Israelites were good at that. Well, but we still offered enough sacrifices at the temple 
God. It's okay. Peeling off those sticky notes. May today be the day that each of us allows the sticky notes of the Holy Spirit's conviction to stay right smack dab in the middle of our face. He might transform us. Now, here's the challenge with sticky notes. They can make your desk look kind of messy, can't they? You get too many of them. And if we actually then get to that point where we're allowing God's spirit to speak to us and and we're feeling that repentance, we start to look at the desk of our life and it feels incredibly messy. And we say, okay, well, this is a fine kettle of fish. Now I'm in a place where I don't even feel like I can come before God. Because I look at all these sticky notes. I need to at least sort some of them out before I come before him. I need to sort some of them out before I even possibly think of coming before the Lord's table receiving the body and blood of Jesus. Now, friends, if, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, there is one giant sticky note you need to sort out before you come to the Lord's table, and that's the sticky note of follow me. Trust in me as your Lord and Savior. This, this meal that we celebrate is a meal for God's family. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, then I would ask that tonight you'd let these elements pass you by. May this be the last night, because here is the wonderful thing that we find throughout the pages of Scripture. How do we become righteous? We trust in Jesus. Not because we have everything right. And when we trust in Jesus, all those sticky notes don't go away. Not Everything isn't perfect right away. But as we come before him, he says, come to the table right in the midst of your messy desk. Bring all your sticky notes with you. Allow me to nourish you that you might, through the power of my spirit, be able to start chipping away at those things in the sticky notes, not because of how great you are, but because of how faithful I am. So friends, whatever burdens you bring to the table tonight, if you trust in Jesus and been baptized, then this table is for you. And just as Jesus went to his disciples and he gave them that first meal, and he gave it to them, knowing that they were going to mess up in huge, unimaginably bad ways, even in the very night that he instituted his Lord's Supper. He gave it to them. They could experience fellowship with him. Because when we come before our God and say, God, I need fellowship with you. I need your love. I need your spirit. That he transforms us, enables us to do the good work that he has called his church to do. So it was on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he poured it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So we're told in 1 Corinthians, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us now come before our God in prayer. Lord, we come as people with lots of sticky notes all over our lives. Lots of places we need your correction. We need you, Lord. So it is that we come before you realizing that we are broken and needy people. But you are good and you are merciful. And so we pray it is by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would communicate 
the benefits of the body and blood of our Savior Jesus to us, that we might be nourished, that we might be strengthened, that we might rest in you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name.